This is the Beautiful Feet Podcast. A partnership with BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com. Follow us on social media at Beautiful Feet Entertainment and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Beautiful Feet Podcast. I'm really excited for this one, guys. I think we have a great show coming up this week. Um, basically, before I get into the show, before we start going into that, I just wanted to go ahead and kind of jump on here. I just wanted to share some stuff. So, this last week, it's been really interesting. Um, I sat down with uh, a friend of mine from from the, our church and... Um, so we're talking about that, and it's a beautiful thing because you know I want to go into full time ministry. That's my, that's what I want to be, my job. That's what I feel like God's really blessed me to do. Um, but you know, so I sat down with them, and I'm like, hey, just kind of wanting to go over some options. I'm like, hey, you work in full time ministry. What are some things that I could do to kind of start in that path? And we started going through some ideas. It, it was such an amazing thing, you guys. It was it was fantastic, simply because, um, you know, he gave me some, a good start. And one of the things that we've talked about is one of my favorite things to do at, at the church, even currently, is baptism. So basically what that is, is you know, when you get dunked underwater, uh, after you give your life to Jesus, I love doing that. And he goes, you know what, I want to I want to make a team of people where, where that is their, their ministry is the, the baptism, you know, and so he asked me to be on that team. I'm so excited. Um, and it's an amazing thing. I think it's going to be a great opportunity. Um, and as as more opportunities come around, I will be just letting you guys know, just kind of you know, giving you updates on what's going on in my life. Um, uh, other things that are going on this week, Jessica's been working like crazy. She's now working two jobs. Um, for those who don't know, I just want to give a brief kind of so, you know. Over the last summer, basically, you know, not even the summer, early in the year, her and I got married. Um, so yes, we're still technically newlyweds. And the funny thing about that is, is neither one of us feel like new newlyweds. We feel like we've known each other for so long and we've been dating for so long and we don't feel like newlyweds. Um, so that whole phase kind of faded out really quick. But we got to a point in the summer where things got really rough. I'm going to be honest with you guys, things got really rough, and um, we're finally out of that. You know, part of it was because at the time in the summer, she, you know, she wasn't working. And so with that, there was a lot of pressure, a lot of different things going on. And so, you know, but we just, we just stood firm, you know, and then she got one job and it was kind of a, honestly, I'm, it was kind of a junky job. It really, they didn't really benefit her at all. Or help her at all with that job. She ended up leaving that job, getting another one, and um, at the same time, she's trying to get into the library. Um, she loves working in the library. The way I want to go into full-time ministry, she wants to go into the library work, and she was working there before we got married. But we moved, so after we got married, we moved to a new city. And so she wanted to have a job in the city that she works, or in the city that she lives, and so. That's what's going on, right? So she's working the job. She's been trying to get in the library. She finally got in. She's been at the library for, a couple, I think, two weeks now, and it's it's been great. 
Um, but she's now she's working two jobs. So keep her in her prayers, you guys. Keep her and and our family in your prayers. Um, as as I start to look into full time ministry and what that's gonna look like. Um, Everything at my work is going pretty well. Uh, I started a new program, and what I mean, I started it uh, at my work. Basically, you know, I, I work. I work at a. I do chat all day. What does that mean? So before that, I, you know, I, I worked on the phones. People would call for medications because I work for uh, Walgreens. Basically, I work there um, during the day, and I would answer phones all day. And now that our, our, our call center where I work, they wanted to do a chat component as well. Basically, you can get on a chat and speak to a technician um, right away. You know, and I got trained for that over the last couple of weeks. That training was was a lot of fun. Um, I mean, as far as trainings go, but and uh, yeah, it, it was pretty interesting. It was pretty good. Uh, I've just now started the new chat position. I'm enjoying it, but it, it's got some stressors to it. So just be in prayer with us over that. Um, and really just pray with us as you know, as I get ready to go into training for full-time ministry and what that's going to look like. Um, so that's kind of my, my week in a nutshell. I just wanted to kind of get update you guys right and and really just start making this more of a community and not just me speaking right not just me talking but i want to hope hopefully you guys are having a great week um hope you continue to have a great week feel free to comment feel free to let me know message me hit me up on social media at beautiful feet entertainment both on instagram and twitter um and you just communicate with me there i would love to hear from you guys but anyway Going into this episode, we got a great, great episode. So I was thinking through, you know, what do I want to do? What do I want to speak about? What do I want to share? And I started to think of like, man, I really, one of my biggest things I love, I love hip hop. I love hip hop for a multitude of reasons. Um, But here's the truth. I love it because it allows me from the time I first heard it as a child, it allowed me to express myself and who I was. Um, so I started to think through, I'm like, how could I incorporate hip hop into the show, into a Beautiful Feet podcast? How would I do that? So for the first time, as far as, you know, hip hop and, and speaking on it from, from on the podcast, we're talking about my top five or my favorite lyricist okay so a lot of people i think lyricism is kind of a it seems like a dead art form at this point but basically lyricism is is when you can you know create songs that are that are creative lyrically or complex lyrically or just challenge the listener to kind of expand their way of thinking now, I want I want to preface this by saying this list that I created, they're just some of the ones that I thought of throughout my childhood or throughout my adolescence that really inspired me to write or inspired me to be more creative. Um, this is not a definitive list. I don't want anyone to think that this is like the pinnacle, but these are just people I grew up listening to. And by the way, they're in no particular order. So... 
whoever's at number one or at number five or wherever, they're not in any particular order whatsoever. Um, but I just wanted to share these with you because I feel like in order to kind of know someone in their interest, you know, you get to know them from talking about favorites and talking about what they like and what they don't like. So I'm going to go ahead and before we jump into the list, now that I think about it, before we jump into the list, I really just want to speak on why I love lyricism because we're at a day and age where, like I said, they have a lot of this thing called mumble rap where it just, it doesn't even sound like they're saying words, they're just making sounds and every so often you have a phrase or a word that you can understand or comprehend. That's not what I'm talking I'm talking about people who make me think as a writer, uh, people who make me think as a, as a poet, or even just as a listener who make me sit there and go, wow, that's who we're talking about this week. Um, so let's jump into that list. I'm going to put number one, and again, this is no not definitive, but the first person I thought of was DMX. If you don't know who DMX is, he was very popular. Um, I believe his first album came out in 96 or 97. Um, and let's be honest, he came out with most of his uh, most famous material between like 97 and 99. He came out with three albums. Um, over his career, he came out with, I believe, five or six. Uh, and all of them were like number one straight from the top, like number one best-selling album at that time. He debuted at number one, and that year, I mean, within a calendar year, came out with his second album, and debuted at number that you know number one as well for his second album. Like that's unprecedented. First of all, that's an amazing accomplishment. Um, and I do have some notes, but I'm not gonna read them like word for word. I'm just gonna speak. Uh, so I kind of label DMX as the ultimate survivor. If you know DMX, you know he came from like a rough childhood, um, and his lyrics depict that. And that's what I loved about it. He was not afraid to speak on like, hey, this is what I've gone through. This is what I've been through. Um, and he spoke a lot about demons and angels. Now, that could be scary for a lot of people, but... He spoke about it in such a way that you understood that it was his personal demons. It was his personal struggles, right? Um, and here's something that I've learned over the years, you know, just kind of doing a little bit of research on, on this MC, um, on DMX. He fought with with drug addiction majority of his life, like from from a very young age, I want to say he was like a teenager when he started getting into hard drugs. I'm not talking about weed and, you know, I'm talking about very, very hard drugs. And so that kind of plagued a lot of his life and probably what shortened his career. Just a preference, he's not dead. He's still alive. I think he's finally getting his life back on track. But his his it seems like his uh, most impactful time in hip-hop was between the years of like 97 to about, I would say 99 to 2000, at the, at, you know. But he, he made some songs that, in my personal opinion, were like the some of the best, right? So he was the ultimate survivor, came from a very rough childhood. I think he even lived in like foster homes and things like that. Um, and he, he grew up in a time where like you had to be hard and you had to... You had to be like this rough, um, you know, street guy. And so that's that's really who he is. And 
and there's things to learn there, right? That so I did not grow up in that environment. I didn't grow up in a great environment, but I didn't grow up in that type, that harsh of an environment. So for me to listen to his lyrics, it was definitely kind of a sh- uh, culture shock because it allowed me to go, whoa. I, you know, I thought I went through some struggles, but he's going on another level. And his lyrics were fantastic. I mean, sometimes they were simple, but they were impactful. And that was a beautiful thing because you don't see that a lot. Some of my favorite songs are songs like Slippin'. That's on his uh, Blood Is My Blood, Flesh Of My Flesh album. Uh, that's his second album. Uh, he also had a song called I Miss You, which he dedicated to his grandma after she had passed away. Uh, that's on his Great Depression album, which I believe came out in the early 2000s, probably 2000, 2001. Um, now, that song, I Miss You, that song's near and dear to my heart. Let me tell you why. So... It was around Halloween. I was, I want to say I was 13, maybe 14. I was a young, I was a young kid. Um, it was around Halloween. I remember specifically because we were carving pumpkins in the backyard. And I think I had just picked up this album. This is back when you bought CDs. This is back when you went to the store. You knew the, the, the you know, release date of that album. And you, you found it. You went and you got it as soon as you could. This is not the streaming days or the downloading days. This is back when you had to spend hard-earned money to pick up the album. And you didn't even know what was on the album. You just hoped it was good. But I just picked up this album, The Great Depression. I believe it was his fourth album. And, you know, I, I had been listening to it that day, the last couple days. Um, and truth be told, you guys, like... So I listen to it, and I'm out carving pumpkins or whatever, and I'm not listening to it at that time, but I had heard the album. And I heard the song, I Miss You, where he's speaking about his grandmother, and, and just being open and honest about her life, and uh, you know his love for her, and those type of things. And I got the news that my grandma, that night, like she was in the hospital, and like there was a chance that she may not make it. I instantly like went into my room, Threw my headphones on and I played that song on repeat multiple times. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't get enough of that song. Um, and here's the great thing: like I listen to his music now, and you understand, you get this concept of like, man, he was a he he was a kind of a struggling artist in the sense that he fought through a lot of emotional stuff, but he wasn't afraid to like be honest. He wasn't afraid to speak on what he went through. Um, and now for me as a, when I started developing as a writer, that was one of those things that I was like, Hey, you can be honest and it still allows you to be manly and it still allows you to be strong because you're dealing with these issues. Um, so that's DMX. Like, that's why I love DMX. Um, you know, now not all of his lyrics are appropriate for all audiences. So be cautious of that. Most of everyone on this list, I will put them in that category of like, listen at your own risk. Meaning, if you don't like profanity, if you don't like lyrics about sex, drugs, and, and, and you know, this, these are not the MCs for you. And that's going to be another list that I, I'm going to make. But these are just MCs and, and lyricists that impacted me as a, as a fan of hip-hop, but also as a writer of somebody who writes hip-hop. 
not professionally, but I do write. So that's DMX. Next on the list, in no particular order, Tech 9 Tech 9 um, he didn't come around until the 2000s. Um, and he actually came in independently, which I'd never heard of before. Because everyone I grew up listening to, they all came from a major label. You know, they all came from like Def Jam or, um, you know, Aftermath, which was Dr. Dre's record label. And like, Tech 9 came with strange music. Like, nobody knew what that was. Um, Tech 9 is from Kansas City, Missouri. And I have him labeled here as the epitome of a lyricist. What do I mean by that? Well, for me, it's simple, right? Like, he comes up with with word combinations and like alliterations that basically bend your mind where you've got to listen to him multiple times and go, wow, wow, like he's getting like complex with his lyrics. Um, you know, but at the same time, not only was he complex with his lyrics, but he he knew how, how to bring raw emotion with songs like Fragile, Real Killer and Mom and Them. Um, now, Fragile, it's it's talking about um, him as an artist being, you know, being fragile and saying, yeah, I put my art out there. I put my life out there and I tell you the deepest parts of who I am. And sometimes I get criticized for it. And I got to admit, I'm fragile. Like, that's hard for me to deal with. Real Killer. Um... Now this song, it sounds like it's a, another one of those typical like I'm a killer, I'm 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 a murder people, but it really isn't. It's a song about you know relationships that he's had with women uh, that ended up in in pregnancy that were not wanted and ended up in you know abortions and things like that. That was always one of those songs that I go wow when I heard the title "Real Killer," I expected you know. Boasting about how strong you are and how you can physically manhandle men and killers and whatever He went the other route with it and he was like, hey, I've been through some things and I've made some choices that I'm not okay with Mama Nem It's it's that word that title Mama Nem N-E-M Is is basically, you know, it's it's basically saying my mom and them, but he kind of puts it together as mom and them, right? And that that just shows again his creativity of like he's not just gonna say my mom and them or you know the family, it's mom and them. And what does that mean? Basically, he's kind of recounting his life with his mom. His mom got pregnant, you know, at a very young age. I think she was still a teenager when he was born, and it was basically single mother status so he had a real t- close connection with his mom tech nine is one of those dudes that like he knows how to how to bring the lyrics to the mic he knows how to write lyrics that bend your mind and and make you think about what you're hearing but at the same time like he knows how to tug heartstrings he knows how to sit there and go you know what i'm gonna give you real life i'm gonna tell you what i really go through what i'm really facing um, and I'm going to put it all in my lyrics. Uh, in one of his documentaries, he talks about um, how his wife always comments that the world parties to her pain. So when him and his wife are going through something, he puts it in his lyrics. So when him and his family are going through something, 
he puts it in his lyrics and we party to it meaning we get enjoyment out of it and like that sounds like a sacrifice because it is and and that's a sacrifice that i think every artist walks that line they have to decide if they're willing to take it or not and um he does you know and, and i appreciate that because now i'm able as a fan to listen to it and go I can relate on one level or another. I can relate. And that's always a beautiful thing. And um, so, yeah, I was, I'm was i just shocked by that and, and how he comes up with these lyrics. So when I started writing, it allowed me and encouraged me to like be imaginative with what I say, with my lyrics, with my wordplay. Um, to come, try to find words that match your rhyme pattern, but like they're not common words, right? Don't just sit there and write pain with gain and heart would start like try something more complex or, or more complicated simply for the for the love of doing it that's what tech nine always kind of represented to me because it was like yo he just enjoys um music and he, he enjoys letting letting people into his his world and one thing i also loved he was not afraid to make himself look different on the outside right most rappers they're like covered in gold and silver chains like chains you know hanging off their neck and rings and at that time it was grills which was like they would re would replace their teeth with like platinum right like with diamonds and glitter it's it's kind of gross if you think about it but uh he didn't do that he took an approach of like Early in his career, he would paint his face. Um, he would wear certain outfits on stage that you just sit there and go, wait, what is that? I mean, he, he just had a different style to him. And he could rap fast. I mean, he could kill the mic when it came to speed. But he could do it live as well. That was amazing. Because you could hear anybody rap fast when it's studio recorded, right? But when you also see him live and he's reciting the lyrics perfectly on stage... Without missing more than like a word here or there because of breathing. It's an amazing sight to see. And man, it's just taught me a lot as an MC. Just really trying to learn that. Those talents. My third choice. And this is again in no order, but it's Eminem. Now, people love Eminem. People hate Eminem. Like, you know, there's really no middle ground there. But... I've always been a big fan of him. Eminem was actually the first artist. He came out in 97. I was 10 years old. Um, he came out right around that time. I don't want to say I was exactly 10. But he was the first artist that I really latched to and said, he's my favorite artist. Like Before that, I was just a fan of whoever whoever was around me, if that makes sense. So like, if I was hanging out with my older brother who loved hip-hop... And he was listening to Wu-Tang. I was a fan of Wu-Tang. If if I was hanging out with my uncle and he was listening to Nas, I'd be a fan of Nas. Like, But Eminem was the first MC who I grabbed and I was like, that's that's my favorite rapper. And to this day, like, he amazes me with his lyrics. I have him labeled as the ultimate underdog. Because he, he's one of those people that like, even though he's at the top of his game... At any point in his career, he writes as if he's at the bottom of the bell trying to fight his way out. And to me, that's that's just his, his attitude or his resilience. And that's why he has over a 20-year career. 
That's why he dropped an album in 2018 that like was the best-selling album of that year, even though it came out at the end of the year. There's a reason of why, you know. But what I love about him the most and his lyrics, what inspires me the most, is they're motivating. Like he comes out with songs like "Not Afraid," Eight Mile." Till I Collapse, phenomenal. Um, I mean, I can keep going on, but like he writes songs that like, when I'm down, when I'm out, it makes me want to get up and keep going. It makes me want to get up and keep trying. It makes me want to get up and keep pushing for my goal. Uh, But along with that, he's also able to like share his dark sense of humor, which, you know, is self-deprecating, but it shows that, hey, he doesn't take himself seriously all the time. He's not afraid to poke fun at himself, but he's also not afraid to, like, let people know his personal side. Like, he writes songs to his daughter, and he actually puts them out. He actually releases them and says, hey, here's my family. Here's what, you know, people that I love and care about and that I admire, you know, and that's always been one of those things to me that I'm like, I could relate to this dude. Like, again, I don't, I don't, I have not been through everything he's been through, but I've been through stuff and his music pumps me up to keep fighting that good fight. Um, and to be honest with you, he's a lot like Tech 9 where he's creative with his lyrics. He doesn't just say things bluntly, but he'll say it bluntly and very creatively where you, you're basically hearing tongue twisters that you didn't even know you think of or or could understand and it's an amazing thing so when I started writing on my own basically with Eminem how he influenced me to write was be truthful to who you are if you're if you're hurting if you're in pain if you're struggling through something write about it like get it off your chest and and don't really apologize for it but understand that your word is is so is a weapon. I mean, he actually has a song called "My Words Are Weapons," um, where he basically says, "You know what? I use my words to to not only make my life easier or make my life easier to deal with, but I use my words as a way of shutting up my critics or or messing around with my haters and those who don't like me." So, and I feel like for me, I've had to do that at times. So I just had to stand up and say, "Hey, this is who I am." This is who I am as a man. This is who I am as a Christian. This is what it means to be me. And I think Eminem really encouraged me to do that. So I do that with my lyrics. Next one on that list is Tupac. Now, Tupac is usually on most people's list. He's like number one, number two. Like he's usually high up there. I agree. One of the best to ever do it. It's a shame that we didn't get to see him do it longer. Um, I would love to see him now, seeing what he does with hip-hop, you know. But, unfortunately, we didn't get that opportunity. Um, but here's what I called uh, Tupac. He's the heart of hip-hop. He had a heart that, like, man, you could see it. You understood it. You heard him in an interview. You heard him on record. And you were just blown away. He didn't just care about himself. He didn't just gather wealth for himself. He he cared about the community. He cared about the world that he lived in. And he spoke truth about the world that we lived in. Even if it was what we did not want to hear. Okay, He came out with songs like Brenda's Got a Baby. Where he speaks on a girl who, um, who you know, I believe she's a teenager. 14, 15 years old having a baby. Doesn't know how to be a mother. So she 
basically throws the baby in a trash heap. Have we not seen that in the news? Like, we we could still see that today. I mean, it happens all the times where you hear of somebody who killed their kids intentionally because they don't want them. Or someone who just abandoned their kids intentionally. You hear of songs from, from Tupac called Changes or Dear Mama. Changes is a song about, hey, like, our world is messed up. We need change. You know, and and... Dear Mama, he's saying, you know what, Mom? You're not perfect, but I appreciate you and I love you. You and I have had our back and forth, but I love you. Like, that's an amazing message for for mothers, uh, especially from people who didn't have dads, you know, who don't know what that's like. Um, Continuing with Tupac, like, he just got your mind thinking. Just the way that he was able to speak about his community and interviews that he did, uh, the way that he speaks about his community and his lyrics, or if he's in pain, if he's hurting, or he's experiencing pain, meaning the people around him, the community around him. Um, he speaks a lot about you know being an artist. He doesn't just have to you know reflect his life, but he's allowed to use creative license to talk about the community at large, and so he did. Um, that was an amazing thing for me because I was able to speak about my family as if I was that family member. So I would see my dad going through struggles and I would write from his perspective. Or I'd see my mom going through struggles and I would try to write through her perspective. Um, and I was just encouraged to like, it's okay to love people and love your community and to make them a priority in your life. That doesn't make you less of a man. That doesn't make you less of a MC. Or, or it, it just shows your intelligence for the world around you. And I think that's what Tupac did. Um, my last one is Will Smith. Now, Will Smith has a history in hip-hop. He, he's got a... I mean, and that's why I call him. He's the history of hip-hop. Like, the first ever rap Grammy... Okay, back in, heck, this might have been the 80s. You know what I mean? I don't know exact year. It might have been 80s, touching the 90s. Um, and it was funny because they, they were awarding him the first ever rap Grammy. And they weren't going to televise it. They they didn't, the, the, the Grammys and the, the committee there did not feel like this award was worthy of being televised. The hip-hop community at this time, Will Smith... Um, DJ Jazzy Jeff, LL Cool J, um, Russell Simmons, um, Rick Rubin. I mean, the list goes on. They all boycotted the Grammys because they're like, hey, if it's not going to be televised, like, you're not building our community up. You're, you're acting like we're the, you know, stepchild of, of, of the music industry. But he did win that Grammy. Uh, and I mean, heck, he was, I don't even think he was 20 at the time. He was a kid. Um, but anyway, basically the reason why I call Will Smith the history of hip-hop, not only because he was there in the beginning of, like, hip-hop, you know, Def Jam records and, and that whole thing, he, his music, like, listening to it now, you get this sense of, like, he writes lyrics and creates lyrics that just remind you of a time when hip-hop wasn't violent, it wasn't sexually motivated it was simply people just having fun with music um so songs like so fresh pump me up 
those songs are just they're just party songs. They're just having a good time, makes you want to bob your head, play it in the car, and just have a great time. Okay. Um, Pump Me Up is a very good song simply because back when hip hop started, actually the DJ was the star of the show. The dude behind the turntables, mixing the music, doing scratches and cuts. Uh, he was the star of the show. The MC just introduced the uh, the the uh, the DJ. And so basically what that means is this. The MC would come up and say, okay, for our next performance, we have DJ so-and-so, right? So the DJ would come up, he would play his records and be creative on his end. Um, over time, the MC would start to, in order to, you know, introduce the, the, the party or get the party started, they would basically like just come up with rhymes and funny things to say. And that's kind of how that started. Now, Pump Me Up is Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff. They, they, they've been working together since the 80s. But they came back for this song and it's it reminds me of old school hip hop. It reminds me of the day where the DJ would be cutting and scratching and the MC would be rhyming with it and having fun. He also has another song that I really love called Lost and Found. This song is talking about hip hop when he was coming up and hip hop at that time. And I believe this album came out 2005-2006. So lyricism was still a thing at the time but he was just talking about how different it was and and it's an amazing song. It's a very profound song. Um, I love Will Smith simply because I listen to his lyrics now. And I'm talking about, I go back and listen to his like early stuff. And I'm like, wow, he knows how to write. He knows how to have fun. He knows how to have a good time. And I, I mean, I just can't wait for him to come out with more music. I'm excited for him just to come out with more music, to be honest with you. Um, so yeah, that that's my list right there. Again, this is not a definitive list. This is not a perfect list. This is simply me saying these are people who influenced me when I write. These are people who I look to when I, you know, when I have a song idea or a poem thought. Um, these are people that I look to and I go, hey, you know, this is what we're doing. This is what I want to talk about. And these are dudes that I look to and I go, hey, like, these are my influences. Um... What are your guys' influence? Who do you guys like? Who do you guys like to listen to? Feel free to hit me up at Beautiful Feet Entertainment. Go to BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com and let me know. Give me your list. Give me some reasons why. Do you like mumble rap? Do you like lyricism? Do you like hip-hop in the sense of just having party music? Like, what do you like? What do you look for in music? I'm curious. I really want to know with you guys. And so... But that is some of the MCs on my list. I'm definitely going to make another one of these. This is a very fun list to come up with. So um, we're going to go ahead. We're going to stop there. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to go ahead and get into um, we're going to get into the Bible study. So let's go ahead and jump into that right after this break. Welcome back to the Beautiful Feet Podcast. Now this is the part of the podcast where. Uh, we go over scripture, where we've been going over First Peter. We've gone over the first four chapters, and guess what, you guys? This is it. This is the final chapter to chapter five. Um, and honestly, I think this this kind of this really sums up the book very well. Um, 
So let's just jump into it. Now, as a reminder, this is not a replacement for the Bible. I'm going to continue to say that, but this is not a replacement for the Bible. This is simply a study of what God's Word says so that we can better understand it and apply it to our lives. Okay, we're going to jump right in. I'm literally just going to start reading from chapter 5, verse 1. And we're just going to break down verse by verse or just the chosen verses that have kind of spoke to me through this time. Chapter 5, 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering, over those who, in your charge, but being examples of the flock. Okay, so I want to just talk about verses 2 and 3 at this moment in time. So, let's look it over. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So basically what he's saying is, because you're a man of God, because you're a woman of God, you're going to have people who, who report to you. Maybe you have an authority over them, or, or maybe you have an influence over them. He's saying God has given you these people. And he's saying you should shepherd them. What that means is, it, it's, a word that it, it, it's a word that means to guide them, right? A shepherd is, is somebody who guides sheep and farm animals from one location to another so that they can get safely to their location. I think that's what God wants us to do. I think he wants us to lead people. And remember, he's not saying that you're just leading Christians. He's not saying that you're just leading those who have a belief in Jesus. You're actually uh, leading those who don't know Jesus. But you're also being an example to those who do know Jesus. So he said, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. I love that. That doesn't mean, basically, that doesn't mean that you need to have the biggest um, influence in the world. There's a group of people who look up to you, who care about you, and who need that that guidance, or my, who need that example. And so he says. You know, he's saying that's that's our job, but he's saying don't do that job under compulsion. So don't do it because you have to, but do it because you're eager to and you're willing to because it's a passion of yours. We all know people who follow their passions and, and we see that when people follow their passions and they're passionate about what they do, there's a side to them that seems it's seamless, right? Like. They're not breaking their back, but they're, they're doing it because they love it and they have a passion for it. That's the same passion that I believe God wants us to have when, when living out our faith and, and being um, a shepherd to those who are among us, right? Being that good shepherd to those among us, meaning being that good example to those who are among us. I truly believe that's what that's what God's asking of us, but he's not asking us to do it because we have to, but because we get to and we're willing to be in that role. He also says that 
We should not do it for shameful gain. But again, we should be eager about it. Like, we should love doing it. He continues and says in verse 3, We should not be domineering over those in our charge, but being examples to them. Okay? Again, we all know that person who does their job and they do it well, but they do it strictly because they have to. And they, they end up in a leadership role. And you can see it just they don't have any joy in their work. And they're not really good examples of, of the, that, that role in life. They, they're painting a, a false idea of what that role is. And as Christians, we have to be mindful of that because we have a lot of people who might be looking at us and the way we live or the way we share our faith or the way we express our faith that could either turn people to Jesus or turn people away from Jesus simply by the words we say and the actions behind them. And if we're doing God's work, if we're working in ministry, or we're trying to help people, or we're strengthening people, but we're doing so with a grudge, with a bad attitude, or just not joyful, simple, it's simple. It's making, it's causing more hurt than it's helping people. I want to continue. I'm actually going to skip down to verse 5. So he's, the verse 2 and 3 are speaking about kind of the elders of the church or the elders of the community. Saying you have, you have, you have grown into your position over time and hard work. Now you have people below you who are, true, who are looking to you for guidance. Now, in verse 5, he, he continues to talk about that, but he's now speaking at it from the, from the other end of the coin. Verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So let's let's look into that verse, okay? Likewise, you who are younger. So now we see he's not speaking to the authority, but the one who's learning and being led by the authority, right? He says, "Be subject to your elders." So it's what does that mean? So as as we kind of put our thought into that, what what does that mean? That means that you understand your role and who you are and what you're doing. Right, you understand that there are people who who have authority over you, and they might ask you um, to to fulfill a role, or they might try to teach you something. This is our time to absorb their experience, absorb their um, their knowledge, and learn from them, as opposed to acting like we know what we're doing. Um, and I think that's what he means when he says, "Clothe yourself in all of you." With humility towards one another. I love how he has to, how he chooses to indicate all of you, right? Don't just clothe part of yourself. Don't just make yourself look humble on a Sunday, but in on a Monday morning or a Tuesday afternoon or maybe a Wednesday evening or a Friday night, right? 
at that time he's saying be humble toward those who are older than you who are wiser than you and learn from them he goes on and continues this in verse 6 humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he meaning God may exalt you casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you okay so the first part verse 5 he's talking about um, humbling yourself before those who are in authority of you whether it's a boss a, a older family member a parent an uncle a grandparent an aunt whatever it may be and then he goes on to say okay now that you're gonna humble to them it's just as important honestly if not more important verse 6 humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so what does that mean that means life oftentimes we create plans in life right by this age I want to have this type of career by this age I would like to be married and maybe start a family by this age like we set goals and this that's a beautiful thing right now here's the truth and I love what he says here he says humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you see God's timing is perfect so when we're humble and and we're willing to be subject to his time we will have the things in life that we need at the time that we need them the most I think about it this way I think about it in 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 my life I think about it and go okay I'm I'm 32 now I just recently got married okay now to some people by the time they're 32 they've been married five or more years some people have been married 10 years it looks like they got married like right out of college okay and there's nothing wrong with that you're an adult you're able to make those decisions now I think about my life when I was 20 21 22 I wasn't in the stage to to be married right I was not in the stage for that even though I thought that I was even though in my mind I thought everything would be well with my career I thought everything would go fine and eventually I'd be able to buy a house I didn't know the first thing about I knew very little I'll say it this way I knew very little about finances and so I wasn't a good steward to my finances sometimes or or I, I didn't make enough money to you know to save up for the house but I thought okay I'm, I'm ready to be married and let's just say God's timing is much better than my own because I'm looking at it now and even though it was heartbreaking at that time I'm so thankful because in, in the time that I thought I was ready to get married and when I actually got married a lot changed I grew I became wiser I became more reliant on God and I became more willing to learn from those ahead of me in life as opposed to thinking I knew everything on my own now that's not to say that I'm perfect in this area because I'm definitely not but it's simply to say this when we live humble when we live in, in in humility to not to not only people but more importantly to God and when we 
allow them to speak into our lives and, and, and allow God to bring forth our blessings so that we could use them properly, things tend to work out much better. And I honestly believe that. But you notice how he's speaking about being humble? Like it's a choice, right? You're choosing to be humble. That's because it is, right? It's you waking up in the morning going, I don't know everything. I don't even know what today's going to hold, but I'm going to do the best I can with what I have. And I'm going to trust the people around me and I'm going to trust the God above me and really just let let God's plan work the way it's supposed to work. Now, here's my question. What do you have that you need to be humble uh, about? Maybe it is a stage in life, you know, getting married or, or buying a house or, or finding that career or making a new uh, or a shift in career, right? It could be a multitude of things. And how can you, at this point in your life, how could you practice humility? I think that's something we need to think about. How do we practice humility? See, I think it's easy for us to sit here and listen to a, a podcast or listen to people talk about being humble. But it's a challenge when we have to actually internalize it and go, okay, how, how do I humble myself? Well, I know for me, when people offer me advice, especially someone older than me or somebody in a different stage in life. So my friends, I, like I have friends who are younger than me who own houses just because they were able to on, on a financial level and, and that's something they were able to do. Now I could, I could simply say, oh, they're younger than me. They don't know what they're talking about, but they're at a different stage in their life. So when my friends come to me and they speak to me and I'm telling them, hey, I'm, I'm looking to buying a house or I'm, I'm starting to save up for this and that or I'm looking for this next stage in my life and they speak to me and go, hey, like, be careful who you hire, be careful who you speak to, um, know what you want before you just, you know, I take that to heart. So that's one way you can humble yourself, not being afraid to ask for help. But when people offer you advice, also listen. You know, open your ears and take mental notes or actually take notes if you have to. Um, I think that's very important because I think a lot of times we ask for advice or we ask for help, but we don't actually want the help, right? We want people to agree with us and we want to just do what we were going to do in the initial, uh, before the question, right? Before the advice. That's not being wise and that's really not being humble. So, I, that, those are the questions that I have on that subject is just how are, you, are we going to show humility and how is that going to transform our lives? How, how are we going to allow God to work in that moment? Now, we're not done with chapter 5. I want to keep going, but I wanted to pause there because that's just one section, but it's going to tie in with what we talk about next. We're going to go to verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Verse 9 says, Resist him, firm in 
sorry, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Okay, I want uh, this is 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 this a very famous verse? Like I've heard so many sermons on it, but I still think when you read it in person and when you're sitting there looking at it, like there's something about it, right? He he goes from talking about being humble to all of a sudden saying, "Hey, be sober-minded and watch what you're doing," because there's an enemy. Of, of God called the devil Sometimes he's just referred to as the enemy Sometimes he's referred to as Lucifer um, He's probably got a multitude of names Because he's a liar uh, But anyway we're going to move on it Says that this enemy actually wants to attack you So he prowls around like a roaring lion Okay I don't know much about lions I'm not going to sit here and act like I do But I do know one thing A lot of times animals in the wild Who do they attack? They attack the weakest of the bunch, right? They might go to a herd of, of, of a, another animal, of their prey. They're going to attack and pick off the weakest one. Why is that? Well, that's simple. It's much easier and safer to attack the weakest one simply because they're the weakest. When everyone else is running because they're stronger or they're faster, you're able to eat. Okay, so let's think about that from our point of view. Listen to what he says. Verse 9, resist him. We're resisting the enemy from attacking us. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood around the world. Let's look at that. Resist him. Firm in your faith. When you're firm in your faith and your relationship with Jesus is strong, and you're allowing God to transform your heart and work through your life on a regular basis, you're going to be strong. So you're going to be alert to what the enemy is doing. So if you um, have a weakness, you're able to protect it. It's not, you know, you're able to get, you're able to protect that weakness so the enemy doesn't use that to, to destroy you. For instance, I know for me personally, Lust has always been a huge issue for me. What I mean by that is things like pornography, uh, things like um, masturbation. Like these have always been weaknesses for me for the long, as long as I can remember. Let's be completely honest. So knowing that's a weakness and knowing that the enemy is trying to destroy my faith and get me to not believe in God but to fall away from my faith. I have to understand, I have to, I have to realize that the enemy is going to use that weakness as, um, as among many others. But he's going to use that weakness to try to destroy me. Or he's going to use that weakness to make me feel like I'm not connected with God. Therefore, I don't follow God anymore. So we have to protect that. That's what it means to be firm in your faith. That's what it means to resist the enemy. Meaning, if that's my weakness, and I know that's my weakness, then maybe being in, in you know alone at night with electronics or a place where I can access this, this material is not smart. So what do I do? I put my computer away. I might turn my phone off. I try to go to bed at an earlier hour. So I'm not up thinking through 
fantasies that are not real. That's that's resisting the enemy. If you have an addiction, a substance addiction, most likely that's a weakness for you. How do you resist the enemy? You stay away from that substance or anyone who does that substance. Or anyone who might influence you to do something else that you know you shouldn't be doing. That's how you protect that. How do you stay firm in your faith? Reading the Bible. Listening to sermons. This is why I put this out here as often as I can because... I want you guys to be able to be influenced by God so that God can work in your life, as it says in verse 7, at the proper time. See, God doesn't work in the same time frame that we do. So we have to stay strong in our faith so that when He does work, when God's moving in our lives, the enemy's not moving faster. Or we're not more focused on what the enemy's doing, we're focused on what God is doing in our lives. Now that second part of, of the verse, verse 9, I'm going to read just the whole thing again. But resisting him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering is being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This, I mean, think about that. When we are being attacked by the enemy, when we're being broken down or, or just in, you know, dealing with hurt and frustration, we're dealing with the type of suffering. And I love this. He's saying, you know what? You're not alone. Everyone around the globe who follows Jesus has a similar type of suffering. And we can band together to help one another out. That's what being humble is as well. Being humble means, hey, I have weaknesses. Can you help me with them? Because maybe they've conquered an addiction maybe they've conquered their lust issues or maybe they don't suffer from it but they could still walk you through and say hey you're dealing with it right now let me walk beside you so that you don't fall under the enemy's attack so that you don't um allow yourself to fall and be destroyed basically he's saying live in unity which is what we talked about throughout this book this this letter is being united in mind and in faith so that we work together as a team. And that's such a beautiful thing, you guys, because I feel like so many times we don't know how to work together as a, as a faith-based team. We allow our brothers and sisters to fall flat behind us and let the enemy pick at them while we get away. And that's just, to be honest with you, that, that just doesn't seem right because it's not right. So that's something to think about. Now I'm going to just continue. We're going to read uh, verses 10 and 11. And after you have suffered a little. So after you have suffered a little while. The God of all grace. Who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Will, will himself restore, confirm and strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what does that mean? So he's saying if you resist the enemy and you protect your weaknesses so the enemy cannot use that to destroy you. And you band together in faith with your brothers and sisters so that nobody falls away from the Lord. He's saying, yes, you still have, you still suffer 
a little while. Meaning, you'll still have heartache, you'll still go through pain, but here's what it says. The God of all grace, who has called you to his, to his e eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So even though you're going through pain, or you're going through hurt, or you're going through frustration, when you rely on God, you rely on God's people, and you stay away from the enemy, it is God who restores you, even if you're broken. It is God who confirms you, meaning He tells you, He reminds you who you are, that you're loved, and gives you a whole new identity in His name. He strengthens you. Basically, that means those weaknesses that you're protecting, when you give them over to God, they will become strengths. Because God will allow you to speak into someone's life who might be going through that same thing. And He will establish you. He might establish you in, in, in the life you live, meaning with a career and a, the house and the family. But I think this, relies, this actually uh, relates more to establishing you in the faith. So that you could share your faith with those around you. I think that's what he's speaking about. So God does all this as long as we are able to humble ourselves and work together to resist the enemy. Now in all this, you have, we've got to ask, like, who gets the credit? Who gets that glory? To him. To God. That's who gets the glory. It says forever and ever. Okay, this is not for us to look at our lives and go, I'm so great. I'm so put together and I'm so strong. It's for us to say, you know what? I have strength. I don't think God wants us to just sit there and say that we're weaklings and we can't... Um, we, you know, we can't live lives on our own, but I think it's to say, you know what, I am weak. I have strengths. My brothers and sisters, my family and the faith have strengths as well. And God is the one who gets the glory in that because we give that up to Him and say, you know what, I'm going to let Him deal with my weaknesses. I'm going to let God deal with my strengths. And I'm really just going to allow God to work in my life. So how about you guys? How do you want God to work in your life? We're about to go into a new year, 2020, a whole new decade. How do you want God to work in your life? Do you want it to just be going to church on a Sunday and ignoring God the rest of the week? Or do you want to have a relationship with God where the enemy can't pick you apart because you're not the weakest one in the link? You're not the weakest one in that pack. You're actually taking those who might be weaker than you when you're standing next to them and saying, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to strengthen you. And you're also going to stand next to someone stronger than you so that they can walk with you. I think that's what God's calling us to. He's bringing us together to be the church. Not to just be in a building and, and say, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah, but to simply say, you know what? He's calling us to be in the church or to be the church. I think I'm just going to let that rest there. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, I know that anyone and everyone hearing this has, has gone through pain, may have gone through brokenness, hopelessness. 
I know because I'm one of them, God. And I pray, God, that as we are focusing our hearts and our minds on you, even for this moment, I pray that you would just begin to work in our lives so that we can work in the lives of those around us. I pray, God, that we would protect our weaknesses so that the enemy will not pick us apart, so the enemy cannot destroy us, but that so we can give that weakness to you and you can make us strong. God, we depend on you. We rely on you. And I pray that we would just continue to walk in your love and in your grace. I pray that you would be with us this week as we humble ourselves before uh, the people in our lives. That we we would lead the, our communities with, with love and with grace and with passion. Not begrudgingly, but willingly walking in love and grace. I pray, God, that you would just continue to strengthen us and be with us. That you would bless us and just continue to walk you know, in, in unity with us, Father God, so that we can be made new and transformed in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to the Beautiful Feet Podcast, a partnership of BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com. Please feel free to follow us on social media at Beautiful Feet Entertainment. Please visit BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com and do not forget to like, share, and subscribe.